0: It is probably the first time that we don't, that you don't hear preaching on one verse, but one chapter in 40 minutes. Um, first of all, let me thank this congregation. You have been a tremendous partner with SRL and because of your help, In the grace of God, Latin America has a seminary almost in every country and over a thousand students. And since its beginning, over 2,000 pastors have been trained and hundreds and hundreds of churches have been planted, reformed churches. I thank God for you, this church is taking the gospel throughout the world. That wonderful prayer about about the passion to take Christ to the nations. Uh, it was uh, it was a celebration for me of real missions. To hear this prayer and that this church not only prays but has encouraged us for so many years. And thank you for sending your pastor to teach in Latin America. Um, The title of this uh, preaching is Who is Christ According to Christ? Who is Jesus from the lips of the Lord? Jesus, of course, had been preached already by John in his uh, gospel. And the first thing that John says in the gospel is who is Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before anything began, the second person of the Holy Trinity was there. And verse 14 indicates that the word, the second person of the Trinity, became man. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then you will hear some of the disciples, like Philip, saying you indeed are the Messiah, the Son of God. And you hear John the Baptist saying, behold the lamp of God who takes away the sins of the world. And all these people are testifying about the Lord Jesus. And John, writing the thesis of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 21, I believe, where he says, verse 31, uh, verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but, but what? These are written for what? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you have made life in his name. So John, after reading this thesis, he presented who Jesus is, and through the entire gospel, indicated that he was God-man, divine and human, human to take on our sins. And put it on him. And divine to be able to pay to the Almighty Father for the sins that we have committed. It is it is the gospel. So after all these witnesses comes the main witness the Lord Jesus Christ and he from the beginning was threatened with death even before he was born he had to be exiled into Egypt and all of that even after his Birth because he faced the threat of being killed. And everyone knew that. That it was not uh, it was not an obscure thing. They were trying to kill him. And the Lord Jesus comes here in chapter 5 and cures a paralytic. And it was great to cure a paralytic. What was the problem? The problem is that he cured that paralytic on the Sabbath day. Um, And that day was the Sabbath, according to verse 9. The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, it is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Well, Jesus did not break the Sabbath day. Jesus broke the rules of men who had established rules beyond what God has expected on the Sabbath day. And we have to understand That God, in his sovereign way, he really does not have to submit himself to his own rules, even though he is holy. But I want to call upon the attention that they wanted to kill him. Look at this. The Jews, therefore, said to him, "Who who was cured? It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Verse 11, he answered them and he, uh, them, he who made me well said to me, take your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know. In any event, afterwards, the Lord Jesus found this paralytic in the temple. Notice that he went back to the pagan church in the synagogue, to the temple to be part of that church that has de- had departed from the um, from the Bible and from the. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, "See, you had been made well. Sin." No more. In contrast with other uh, people who were cured, like in chapter 9, Jesus makes certain that his sickness is not because of sin. But for this man, his sickness, it was sin. And he doesn't say, your sins are forgiven. Make sure that you don't sin anymore. What happened here? Lest worse things come upon you. What did the men do? The men departed, knowing that they were going to kill Jesus. And told the Sanhedrin, told the Jewish people, the establishment, who was the one who cured him, knowing that they were going to kill Jesus. This man was a little Judas. There is no record of him repenting. But instead, he transferred his his trust into the pagan church rather than to uh, the uh, submission of the lordship of Jesus. The men departed and told the Jews that Jesus was the one. Verse 16. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and so to kill him, to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. That was the problem. Jesus intentionally cured this man on the Sabbath. Not only this man, but continue to do that on the Sabbath. So I have to tell you, many people remember chapter 5 because of the cure of the paralytic. The Chapter is not about the paralytic at all. Zero. The, 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 The chapter is about who is Jesus. Jesus taking the opportunity to tell people who is him. Who is he? It's the introduction of his ministry to tell them, I am God. Wow. And that's what I like to concentrate, how Jesus demonstrated that he was God. I remember R.C. Sproul when he preached this. And he said, but Jesus answered to them, verse 17. This is not me. This is not the Bible. This is R.C. Sproul. And Jesus said, I'm sorry. I forgot that it was the Sabbath. Would you forgive me? Let, me? let me get into a debate with you to let you know that it's good to cure somebody on the Sabbath. Oh, and he was not ready to die. I could have waited and come back on Monday and cure him. Why did I do that? What a silly thing to do. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus, instead of hiding or justifying he hired the dangerous level. He, Arce said, if I had been Jesus, I would have told him, you know what? If I don't work on the Sabbath day, your heart will stop immediately. The, the world will collapse. The ocean will take over the entire continents. The sun will drop down because God never stops working. <clears throat> In st- they were going to kill him <clears throat> because he was working on the Sabbath day. But he said, I am working on the Sabbath day Because I am God. And if I don't work on the Sabbath day, everything will stop. If Jesus, if God is not here, everything will collapse. Look what he says. My father has been working until now, and I have been working. That is the first demonstration that he is God. He's calling God his Father, and he is saying, I am working with the Father, making emphasis on what John has says. He is of the same nature, the same substance of the Father. He was there before the beginning, and he is with the Father, indicating that there is a second person in the Trinity. And he is God. But here he's saying, I am of the same substance of the Father. And because I am his son. That's point number one. Point number two. At this moment, imagine this. The Jews saw all the more to kill him. It went to a different level. It's not that he's working on the Sabbath is that he's identifying himself with God himself unashamedly without asking for forgiveness. They used the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You know what? They were right. (laughs) They were right. They understood what he was saying, that he was God. There's no excuse. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, verse 19, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son does also in the like manner another identification with God. Whatever God does, I do it. Wow. That that had to be incredibly uh, bad for the Jewish people to hear that. I want to place you there. Here is a poor son of a carpenter with just sandals, with dirty feet from Galilee or Nazareth, which is the place where the poorest people come from, from the, the, the people who are not appreciated at all. And he is there telling them that he is God. How would you like that? How would you react? They were angry. He says, I do whatever God does. How would you react to that? For the father loves the son and shows himself all things that he himself does. I have the privilege to see in God's work. In the beginning was the word. In verse 2 of chapter 1 whatever was done was done by the Son, and without the Son, nothing that has been created was created. You have it there in John 1. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and Jesus here comes and reminds them that. You will see in a minute. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so, the son gives life to whom he will. Up to today, with all the scientific advancement, one problem that man has is that the man, man had not been able to create life, period. And here is Jesus says, I own life. Wow. That is quite a a statement. See, Teilhard de Chardin, the philosopher of the last century, who uh, wanted to make a marriage between evolution, Darwin, and the Bible, decided to place God into evolution, and he said that God created the vital principle, the minimum expression of life, which was a living self, and allowed that cell to evolve. He wanted to just be nice and attract people to believe in evolution by mixing God into that. Of course, just a parenthesis, he forgot that in Genesis he says he created not a cell, but everything of his kind, of his kind, of his kind, of his kind. That Mr. Taylor de Chardin, you're wrong. Then, he is saying here clearly that he owns life. Now, he claims that he is the son of God, that he is of the same substance of the Father, and that he is able to create life. He owns life. Even by today's standards, anyone who stands here and say, I am able to create life, either he is crazy or he is God. It says, "Okay." But listen to this, 21st. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so, the Son gives life to whom he will. Election is right there. It's not to everyone. It's to ever, to whomever he will. And so what? So what is that he gave us life to us? Because he will. What a grace. So he owns life. Another point. Dear Jewish establishment, I have to tell you, this this son of the carpenter, this of dirty sandals with dirty clothes is your judge. Do you see that in 22? For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. We are way far away from the paralytic. you see, you see the distance? It is about Jesus and who Jesus is. God. He is the one who is going to judge them. And then he claims another thing for himself is he requires from them worshiping wow that is only given to god you see how far he went from breaking the sabbath to disclosing who he is without any fear As to me this is amazing that he says, 23, you must give me honor the same way that you give honor to the Father. You will worship me the same way that you worship the Father. And if you do not worship me, you don't worship the Father. And if you don't worship me, your sacrifices, prices and your whole doctrine and your whole religion is has to be thrown away. He's debunking everything that they thought, because they already have corrupted the church. Look at 23. This is beautiful. You should honor the son just as they honor the father. And he goes deeper and says, he who does not honor the son, that's me does not honor the Father who sent me. Whoa. <laughs> How do you like these statements? You know, forget the paralytic. This is powerful. And, and, and you know, you stole part of my sermon in your prayer, because it's beautiful to fully realize who Jesus is. Dear ones, do we realize? Jesus is? Do we give him the honor? We realize that he's our judge. Do we realize that he has given us life? That he is the creator? That our heart will stop if Jesus is not involved? Wow. And then he continues. He's on the roll. Most assuredly, here is something incredible. But here is the gospel. And I want you to pay attention, or us to pay attention, to verse 24th and 25th. And we are going to compare 24th and 25th with 28th and twenty-nine. If we don't pay attention to 24th and 25th, by the time we'll get to 28, is way too late. Because then we will be facing hell or heaven without any way to escape. Most assuredly, 24, I say to you, he who hears my word... And believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Pastor pray. I hope that you were paying attention. We were dead in trespasses and sins, following our chief, our father, the devil, and were by nature, what? Children of the wrath of God. We were under the wrath of God. And God, but, verse 4, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But he gave us ears to hear. He gave us life. When? When we were dead in trespasses and sins. And dead people cannot hear unless God gives them life. So he says, most assuredly, I say to you, The hour is coming. That's verse 25. And now it is. Today. I don't know how many of you are Christians. And how many of you are playing Christian. Or how many of you really believe. But Jesus says, now, today, at 11.35. Now. If you hear the voice of the Son of God, you will come to life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now it is when the death will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. We were dead in trespasses and sins. There is election with vengeance. We were dead, and He gave us here. And if we hear the voice of Christ, we are safe. And we are safe today, not tomorrow. And we are going to heaven because we trust in Christ. But don't wait. Don't wait until verse 28. Because verse 28 is horrible. Look at this. Do not marvel. at this, for the hour is coming, it's not now, it is coming, in which all the ones who trust in Christ and the ones who do not trust in Christ, they all will come to life. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, the voice of the Father, not the voice of Christ. On 24 and 25, we hear the voice of Christ. We come to life with trust in Christ. But if you don't, or we do not, when we arrive in 28, they will hear his voice and come forth. Everyone will resurrect good and evil, believers and pagans. Those who have done good and the only ones who have done good are the ones who believe. It's not by words. Because Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God or to do good works. So those who do good works are the ones who are believers we are we are rescued we are safe to do good works we do not do good works to be safe it's a big difference between roman catholicism and this beautiful christian religion to the resurrection of life And those who have done evil, the ones who did not hear, verse 24 and 25, will resurrect to go to hell. It will be way too late. And I'd like you to remember those two words. So what? Wow, so what? Where are we at this moment? You hear the Son of God talking about himself, preaching the gospel. This is a tremendous presentation of the gospel. If you believe you hear my voice, you will come to life. And if you don't, when you're resurrected, you will go to hell. I'm not saying that. It sounds horrible, but that's Jesus talking. <clears throat> And then he continued to demonstrate who he is in verse 27. And has given him, God has given him the authority to execute judgment. Also because he is the son of man. Wow, when he says the son of man, you have to give me another hour. (laughs) Because the son of man is the favorite name that Jesus called himself. Because it represents the Son of Man in Chapter 7 of Daniel is God himself. And the Jewish people knew that. So this is a reason for another fight, for to try to kill him. Because he called himself, what the Jewish people knew was God himself, the Ancient of Time, the Son of Man. And then... He goes to verse 20. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. Okay, Jesus. Anyone can say that. I am the son of God. I am the same substance of the Father. I have the same power to create and to give life. I am the judge. I am the owner of life. I can give you not only soul life, biological life, but I can give you eternal life, spiritual life. Okay, Jesus. There is a problem, Jesus. How do you prove that? Remember Deuteronomy 18, where you have to have at least two witnesses to demonstrate that what you are saying is true. And Jesus says, I am saying this, but you do not believe me because my testimony is not sufficient. He's not saying that his testimony is right. It's wrong. But he's saying it's according to the scriptures and according to the law, a testimony of one person alone is not sufficient. So I have 10 minutes. I'm going to finish. I am going to bring how many witnesses do you want? One? I'm going to bring two. Maybe not. Maybe I'm going to bring three. How about if I bring four? You know what? Let me bring you five witnesses. You see, you thought that this was about the paralytic? <laughs> it has nothing really to do with the paralytic. It's to demonstrate that he is God, and now he's going to bring five witnesses. Witness number one, 33. You have sent to John, and he was born witness. He was he has borne witness to me, to the truth. You send your priest down to where John was baptizing, and John gave witness of me. And I'm sure that John told them that he and miserable John was the only human that was standing in front of the Holy Trinity when he baptized Jesus. He heard the voice of the Father. This is my beloved son. He is in front of Jesus, and he sees the Holy Spirit coming. I wish I can be in the sandals of John, enough to give your head for it. You have sent John, and he has borne witness of the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from men, but I say these things that you may believe. Why did he say that? At that time, John was more famous than Jesus. And anyone who will deny that John was a prophet will be stoned to death. So he throws the first stone, John. First witness, second witness, and I'm running here because the second witness, he had done many, many miracles. He has resurrected people. He has cured people. He has dominion upon the waters and the wind. And he has has demonstrated, he says, Where have you been? And I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, dear ones, and friends, for the ones who do not believe, no one ever denied the miracles of Jesus, not even his enemies. They could not deny. it. They, They knew that it was, even though with their anger and their And their uh, hatred against Jesus, they claim that he did those powers by the power of Satan or something like that, but they never denied the miracles. They could not deny it. They could not. In fact, they wanted to kill Lazarus because he was a bad testimony for them because Jesus has resurrected Lazarus. Imagine you being Lazarus, resurrected, and they are trying to kill him. The very works, verse 36, that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Second witness. Third witness, 37, the Father. The Father has given testimony of Jesus throughout the scriptures. You just read it today in Isaiah 52. It's so clear. And the Father obviously, have given testimony, because John probably told them about the father saying, this is my beloved son. And you believe John. Witness number four, there is a more powerful witness, and that is in verse 39. What is that witness? It's the holy scriptures. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Four witnesses. And then he brings his last witness. Somebody that they love, they honor, and they follow. He brings Moses, <laughs> in verse 45. And Moses, believe it or not, in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, 15, declare that a prophet is coming from among you, and if you don't believe in that prophet, you will be condemned. How do you like that? That's Moses. If you don't believe Moses, For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So to conclude, he he introduces himself as who he is. All his problems began in chapter 5 and began because he was able to explain to all of them who he was. He told them that he was God, that he is of the same essence of the Father, that he has the power of the Father, that he is able to do whatever the Father does, that he is the judge, and that he deserves worshiping. Wow. Those are tremendous claims. And then he presents witnesses. He brings five witnesses. John the Baptist, the works that he does, the testimony of the Father, the scriptures, which is the strongest testimony that they knew because they heard about Isaiah. They have about Jeremiah 31 and 33 where he says that a son of a branch of David will be there. They knew chapter twenty-two of Psalms, which is who is Jesus. They heard all of this, the testimony of the Scripture, Zechariah, which is. So scriptures should give you this testimony, and then you have Moses. And if you don't believe in Moses, you better close your synagogue and get out of here. It will be totally destroyed. Number one, so what? <laughs> I would love for you, when you hear preaching, say, so what? What do we do with this knowledge? Number one, so what? He preached the gospel. He gave us life. This poor son son of the carpenter gave his life for us and he demonstrated that he is God and man. What are we going to do with this? But rather... One tremendous expression of love and appreciation for this Jesus. A tremendous desire to get to know who Jesus is. And I like to encourage all of us to find 10, 15 minutes per day in your favorite place where you meet God. And you learn who Jesus is. This is a letter of love that the Father has written to all of us. Jesus is saying, the scriptures, search the scriptures, read it. And then a fundamental change of life. Christians were called Christians for the first time in Antioch. And Christians in Greek is Christianus, which means a servant of Christ, and a slave, somebody who gives his life to Christ. And one of the worst ways to call the name of the Lord in vain is not only to, men, to say the name of the Lord for anything. That's bad. It's prohibited in the third commandment. <clears throat> but you know what is worst? The worst part of this is to take the name of Christ and put it on ourselves, and then we become Christianus. Christ in me, and I tell everyone that I am a Christian and behave like a pagan. Wow. Or sin carelessly, or not to live a life of repentance. That's So what? Romans 2.24, because the pagans blaspheme the name of God because of us. That's why the discipline of the church. If anyone out there of you who calls yourself a Christian and comes to this church but gives a bad testimony, the church has to call him because he is sinning against all of us. Third, now that you know, first of all, I have to thank you for allowing us to proclaim this beautiful name to the nations. And please look for every opportunity not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed of Christ. And if you need, use the words of Jesus, demonstrating who Jesus is. May the Lord put these words in our hearts and in our mind, and that today will be a fundamental change of life in us, and that our love for the Lord Jesus will increase. And we ask this in the name of Jesus.